0: Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hey listeners, in this episode, you'll hear from herbalist expert, Dr. Marina Buxoff. And if you're interested in hearing more about what I'm doing with maternal health, check out www.rxformom.com. And reach out if you are a pediatric pharmacist or pharmacist interested in maternal health. I'm looking for others who are also passionate about that and want to help with some content. Or maybe you're also a mom and have questions just like I did. Uh, restarting the mom journey. So reach out, let me know what you think about this project. All right. So today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest, Marina Buksov, is a functional medicine pharmacist, mental fitness and health coach, herbal educator, and lifelong learner of the healing arts. She is the creator of Build Your Holistic Herbal Practice course, Mentoring, other healthcare professionals in clinical herbal, as well as business skills. She is a functional medicine pharmacist and part of the Farm to Table telehealth platform and the host of the Holistic Pharmacy podcast. Marina guides practitioners to rediscover their passion for medicine by expanding their mind and clinical skills to include natural holistic alternative and herbal medicine from which conventional pharmacy practice originated. She believes in honoring plants as food and medicine for sustainable and sovereign health. And when she's not working or studying, she likes to paint, dance, and tinker with various concoctions, teas, et cetera, and lives with her husband and two adorable kiddos. And there are two mischievous kitties in New York City. Marina, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Hillary. Glad to be here.
0: Well, thanks for joining us, and now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you could fill in any gaps from that intro or share a little bit about your personal life.
1: Yeah, sure. So personally, I'm actually an immigrant. I immigrated to New York City, uh, to America, when I was nine years old, and my parents are both from a biochemistry background, so they're biologists slash chemists. And they sort of inspired my uh, career choice to be a pharmacist, sort of combining those areas of passion and also my uh, aptitude in the physical sciences, the hard sciences, and the life sciences. So that's what made me pursue pharmacy in the first place. Uh, But on a personal level, you know, being a human being on this earth, I was also Uh, struggling at different points in my life with health challenges. So being a pharmacist actually was not enough, I felt, for me to be self-aware and advocate for myself and my health choices, which is what made me seek out um, other alternative and complementary modalities. So I sort of had hands-on experience going through my own health struggles um, and I dabbled in a lot of things personally, and I also learned about them professionally after pharmacy school. So now I like to integrate them in my life when it makes sense and also advocate for their practices um, on a more holistic level um, that's more commonly known like so so my my point is really for this knowledge and this information to take care of one's health to be available to everybody and for everybody to be able to make those choices those informed choices about their health
0: yeah thank you um so that is really interesting i love hearing why people go into pharmacy or why they ch- choose their career paths and uh that's amazing that you are, you know, a first-generation immigrant, and then have stayed in New York City. So, um, just fell in love with the city. It sounds like so, Marina. Um, tell, walk us through a little bit about post-pharmacy school. You go to pharmacy school. How long um, did you practice? And then, you know, it was. It. I feel like it's always usually a personal story that people kind of. Um, get led into other areas of health or other areas of their career. But um, could you back us up into kind of what pharmacy school and then post-pharmacy looks like? uh, And then maybe when along your journey you started um, having some of your own health challenges that you started exploring?
1: Yes, absolutely. So I went through a zero to six pharmacy program right here in uh, Queens. Uh, I'm located in Brooklyn, but I commuted and I decided to do that right out of high school because it was, you know, a guarantee once you got in, you didn't have to take the PCATs. And I felt like I should try it first and then I could always transfer out if I did not like it. But I felt like it was a really good chance and opportunity that I should not pass up. Um, So I did enjoy pharmacy school a lot. And that's where I actually got introduced to complementary and alternative medicine on a more formal level. I mean, coming from my background, I come from Eastern Europe, um, Belarus, Ukraine, Russia, have roots all over there. And I actually grew up in Ukraine. So I knew that herbal medicine, spices, food as medicine, all of that was integral to my own culture. But I I didn't really get a chance to study it formally because I, like I said, moved when I was nine years old. So I, I kind of knew that in the background. And in pharmacy school, I had an opportunity to take a couple of electives and nutraceuticals, as well as an intro to complementary and alternative medicine, where I was introduced Um, to things from Ayurveda and yoga, all the way to ayahuasca. So it kind of broadened my horizon and perspective and also gave me that permission that as a pharmacist, I am quote unquote allowed to venture out and be interested in these types of topics. And also I had a club inside my, my school that was... Also interested in discovering complementary and alternative medicine and advocating for more natural and even energetic type of healing modalities. So all of those things, I I believe, were keys to me um, allowing myself, like I said, to explore these and continue to explore these. And then on a personal level, when I was growing up, I often had gastrointestinal issues pop up here and there. And I I remember, you know, times in my life when I had severe cramps, or um, I had weird things going on that the symptoms of which now I could say are probably IBS. And I was even diagnosed with IBS when I was about 17 or so. Um, And then later in life, I had adult onset acne, PCOS. Um, I also have a weird, had rather, Um, when I was graduating pharmacy school, I was diagnosed with H. pylori, and later I was diagnosed with a dacryostenosis. So it's a narrowing of the lacrimal tear ducts in both eyes bilaterally. And uh, I I became obsessed with trying to heal myself in, in all of these different diagnoses, Um, and how it made me feel about myself and how it made me feel that I was imperfect or how I was failing to take care of my health, even as a healthcare professional. So it was all kind of tied together, what my perceptions and judgments of myself getting diagnosed with these things and then how I dealt with them. Um, Yeah, maybe you could also
0: just explain a bit more about how the, you know, you got diagnosed with some of these things and you took a, you didn't take the traditional, you know, approach, but you wanted to explore some of these, you know, quote unquote al- alternative approaches. Um, how did you go down that path? And, um, you know, you mentioned uh, herbals and that, um, you know, some of the other different things uh, that you, Uh, did what, how did you learn about those other than, you know, from your background in Ukraine, were they easily to be found in the U S and New York, or where did you go to search for that information?
1: Uh, so when I was diagnosed with all of the things that I mentioned from IBS to PCOS to dacryostenosis uh, to H pylori, my first, um, My first action was to really continue down the conventional path and seek out experts and treat all of the said diagnoses. And I found them to be quite aggressive and invasive. And on top of it, they didn't really get to the root cause of the issue. And I found myself still exhibiting those symptoms. So I really had to seek outside of the box because the conventional approaches weren't helpful. And in fact, had a lot of side effects and even medical trauma. I would say. So looking back at it, you know, I was given pharmaceuticals and polypharmacy drugs to treat side effects of drugs. Um, I was, I was um, put under the knife, so to speak. I had elective surgery on my eye. I had the invasive endoscopies. And I was on a protein pump inhibitor for over six months, probably close to a year. And like I said, my symptoms did not improve. So I just felt very um, helpless. And I felt like the conventional system betrayed me. So I started seeking out other modalities through first just word of mouth, like my family would hear about some healer and they would say, why don't you try going here or there? So I ended up trying things anywhere from Chinese and herbal medicine and acupuncture to chiropractor to craniosacral therapy to energetic Reiki type of healing modalities of the transference of energy and prayer. So all of these things that I tried, um, I believe they all had different degrees of success. And also they were each meant to serve different aspects of the healing. So after, you know, this whole journey, what it's teaching me is that everything can be appropriate there's just a time and a place and it's this is where the true wisdom and discernment comes in where we figure out for each individual what's the quote-unquote right path because there's so many potential paths and the way forward really has to be um, based on the individual based on their beliefs first of all, and their desires and their goals of treatment and also digging into the motivation behind their treatments. Um, And then the degree of, you know, whether it's acute or uh, self-limiting or chronic or kind of digging into what is contributing, what's the root cause um, and going anywhere from the physical level and how it's showing up all the way down to the psychosomatic root cause levels down to the energetic. And so all of these different modalities have different roles in this healing tapestry. And so for me, it was figuring out which modality to turn to for which of my diagnoses and then also how all of my diagnoses are working together overall in my one whole organism. So this really informed me into what I would like to learn professionally and how to piece all of these things together when I practice. Um, So the herbal medicine was really helpful for my eye issues and for my PCOS and for my hormone um, regulation for detoxifying my body. Um, And so I really fell in love with that piece of it. And I was able to reverse the mysterious symptoms of burping, which is why I was diagnosed with H. pylori in the first place, over just one week of herbal therapy versus all of those invasive treatments that I mentioned, including the long-term PPI use. So that just goes to show Hmm. you that depending on what remedy is appropriate for what, because it's not like... I can say easily herbal medicine is always the way to go. You never do this or that. It's just situational. So um, so it really inspired me to dig deeper and continue learning.
0: Hmm, interesting. Well, that's definitely a success story. Uh, what herbal did you happen to use that was so successful with the H. pylori?
1: So at the time, I was not studying Chinese medicine. I went to a local acupuncturist and herbal uh, Chinese doctor. And he had prescribed a brew of very nasty tasting herbs to me that I was to drink twice a day in a very specific way. And there's also a very specific way to uh, prepare the herbs and to drink it. So um, he tweaked the formula a couple of times throughout the week. And then at the end of the week, like I said, I was symptom free and still am to this day. So that was, that was really miraculous to me. I don't know because he wrote a lot of the Chinese characters and he had an on-site apothecary that just gave me whatever he prescribed. But looking back at it, I know that he must have added a lot of bitters into the formula, not only because I remember the taste, but also because bitters are indicated for rebellious stomach qi. which looking back, I know that that's kind of the diagnosis that he would give me.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Um, you know, I, I know you mentioned that one of the reasons you started pursuing this was because you felt helpless with kind of the traditional and, um, medicine and and pharmaceuticals. Um, since there are so many different types, you know, acupuncture, chiropractic, um, and I'm going to mispronounce this, but the Aru, Ayurvedic uh, practice or the the um, uh, learning of different other Chinese uh, medicines and things, how do you know which to go with or which one works or, um, you know, when you're working with, with yourself or with a patient, it still sounds um, a little complex with all of the different things
1: to try to learn and get up to speed on? Oh, yes. I believe it's actually much more complex than pharmaceutical medicine because we're not just looking at a simple ingredient preparation where we are mostly just looking at the active ingredient, right, and the pharmacokinetics and the pharmacodynamics of that, and then looking at interactions and then adding some excipients that are inactive or inert, um, which also could influence the formula, too, for some people, but... Overall, there's less factors than when you consider traditional herbs, when it's a whole plant that you're working with, or when you're eating a whole food, it's so much more complex because you have to consider all of the phytonutrients, the macros, the vitamins, the nutrients, the active constituents, pharmacologically active that is, and what it's doing and which dosage form to choose and You know, what's the dose considering that it's complex and it's not just a standardized extract, which is another Mm -hmm. distinction. And I prefer to actually use whole herbs versus standardized extracts. Um, So it becomes much more of an art form than a science, which is why I believe there's so much contempt for it, because you can't always dial it in. There's going to be confounding variables based on the soil quality where the herb was grown, the sun that it received, all the nutrients. So you can't really control as well as you can control for a pharmaceutical. However, it has a much wider therapeutic index for the most part, for most plants. And we have something called the entourage effect, which you may know from the cannabis medicine that people are now talking about all the time, but really it applies to all herbalism and all whole foods is that there's this synergy between consuming something in its whole form, and then there's chemicals and phytochemicals inside the plant that actually help um, us decrease potential side effects and increase potential benefits, as well as the preparation of the plant, like fermenting it or which dosage form, like I mentioned, we select we could really mitigate uh, a plant and manipulate it in a number of ways to make it more therapeutic and less toxic. And again, I'm not as concerned about it for the most part, but that's why you study. Um, if you if you understand what type of plant you're working with and what to watch out for, it can really be a safe practice. And the effectiveness is now going to be um, kind of what's the variable. And we can really play around with the doses. And again, depending on the plant, we'll, we'll have some leeways. And also the person, the person who is taking the plant, we always consider that as well as like the terrain, or which constitution does the person present with, and also which a quote-unquote challenge they're facing. So we're always working with these three factors and trying to create a balance within this whole system. And we're just turning to the plants in order to create a better quote-unquote terrain for the person. So it typically doesn't work like a drug where it's such a specific effect and it has such a specific target like a drug. Although there are definitely phytochemicals inside of plants that do attached to different receptors, just like drugs do. So it's a more forgiving and a more gentle practice, I would say. And that's not to say that we never use drugs, like I mentioned, or we never do anything else, but this is just one of the things that we can start using on the daily for that resilience to build that foundational health. And this is something that I believe all of us should be incorporating in practice and in our own lives so it may not be appropriate for an acute situation where you do need a hospital visit or a drug, uh, but it it's appropriate for other things that are more chronic, more day to day. So hopefully that answered the question. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah.
0: So so Marina, you have you've you know obviously dug into this over the years and now have created your own course for people to get up to speed. What is, you know, what is some of the things that people might learn in your herbals course and what's the duration? It sounds like there's so much, so much to learn. Um, Break down a little bit about what people might expect from your course.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thanks for asking. So this course was created literally because people were asking me, looking me up online, searching for these answers of, how do you come across variable, uh, I'm sorry, reputable references about herbalism? What are things that a pharmacist can get involved in that, that's more holistic, more integrative? And when you search for pharmacist and herbalist, you most likely come upon my website. So because there was this interest in people and um, they were asking me for what steps I took and for help in their own journey that's kind of how the idea for this course was born and why I created it in the first place. It was just to answer all those questions to really speed up and create this streamlined process so that you don't have to go and spend a decade. Like I did spend 10 years answering all these questions. What's the legal perspective? What's the safety and efficacy? Where do we see this evidence? Is there evidence behind this? What's the, um, you know, What's the application? What is the monetization? You know, if we specialize in this area, is there a return on the investment? So I spent a long time going from school to school to first learn the skills, then apply the skills myself in my practice and in my life, and then also get a lot of business coaching and training from various mentorships and, and coaches myself uh, to create this monetization potential. And I don't want it to be as hard for other people. Uh, and I believe me paving the path makes it easier for others to follow or to create something brand new. Uh, but also with these skills and this passion for integrating traditional wisdom with modern medicine. So I um, created a, a four-step four process. The first two steps really involve education. So uh, just the foundational philosophy, history, um, medicine making, phytochemistry, that is all in the foundational education. Then we move on to application, anatomy, physiology, which herbs make sense, uh, what protocols, what's an energetic and herbal assessment. Um, then it goes into part three of the course, which is where we apply all of these skills. We get the platform that may make sense for the person. Um, we talk about how to get an internship or some sort of hands on uh, training, whether locally or also in my program. We have clinical roundtables for this step. And then the final step is putting it all together, creating an offer, a service, something unique that you're going to be offering, or some, somebody who may be a pharmacy owner or somebody who's practicing 100% virtually, they're going to have completely different things to offer um, with herbalism. So all of that is possible. And I spend one-on-one time coaching and mentoring people to make sure that it applies to them and serve as a resource for them based on all the connections that I've made over the years uh, and share really just this fast track and more streamlined process, like I said, as well as applying our clinical analytical pharmacy brain to these concepts so that it makes sense for us and it becomes sustainable.
0: Interesting. Now, Marina, it's helpful whenever, you know, it may have taken you years or, you know, through multiple schools and you've kind of been able to condense what worked and what didn't work. Now, talk to us a little bit about the patient side. Um, How do patients find you and find out about this? Um, Are they paying cash? Um, When people are setting up their businesses, you know, they can go through the course, learn about it. but. Um, What are some of the success stories of, you know, going out in this uh, niche market and, you know, finding patients that are willing to pay or, um, you know, that are interested in this type of therapy?
1: Yes, great question. So currently, I mostly recommend doing a cash-based practice because herbalism is not regulated, not recognized officially by any government body here in the US. So what I would recommend, and again, it depends on which setting you're in, is a cash-based service and or making passive income streams from products. But the good news for patients and clients is that herbs are actually very accessible and sustainable in terms of a cost savings. So, for example, if you compare a drug cost, cash, versus an herb, especially an herb in its whole form or its crude form as a tea or tincture or even a supplement, it's much more affordable. So we can teach our clients how to make it sustainable and cost-effective for them and which dosage form makes sense with the cost in mind as well as the application and implementation. And really, I think the work is in the education first and foremost, because people don't know what they don't know. So there has to be a level of education to both our clients, our patients, for them to get interested in this, and then sort of accept this concept and be willing to implement it. And then the real work begins with the implementation. So being that cheerleader, that coach, that guide that I serve for my uh, students, as well as for my clients, to be there for them to make sure that I am, again, holding them accountable for the implementation pieces, because the reality is, yes, the information for herbalism is not as widely available as, let's say, some other information online and on the internet, because there's a lot of question about whether or not the source is reputable, right? but. All that aside, there is a ton of information and the real magic is with the implementation. So that one-on-one accountability or the live calls that we have with our students or with, that I have with my clients is really part of the transformation. So whether I'm teaching you know, a student certain skills or I'm working with a client or a patient, this is a huge, huge piece of it, which is why I designed my program to account for this piece, because I had experience with other programs that didn't account for it. So that's another piece of the puzzle. And because I had challenges with this piece in the past, I made sure that I would do my best to help others with the implementation, with the handholding. And it did take years. So, so that's why the streamlining is important. And also with The realization in mind that once you have that foundation, the baseline, you can then use your drug information skills or other skills that you have as a pharmacist to continue growing these skills. Because it's impossible for any one person, even a great herbalist, to know every single possible remedy. And like I said, there's more than one way to heal. And this is just a bounty of that nature provides us, right, that we can tap into, that we've sort of been conditioned to stop tapping into, even though it used to be secondhand and natural. So when I'm working with clients, you know, getting on the same page is paramount. So if they are into herbs, then I will be able to help them. But if they're not into herbs, then, you know, there needs to be some sort of education and buy-in for them to be able to trust me and and to implement it.
0: Mm, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, and thanks for sharing more insight into that. Now, are there any kind of kind of legal considerations or things that you have to think through uh, as you're doing this more health coaching or um, niche kind of uh, therapy with herbs and, and prescribing, if you will, herbs? Uh, to think about uh, that people might w- just want to be aware of?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, we have to say that we can't legally diagnose, prescribe, prevent anything, whether we're working with a product or a service. Um And with that said, we also will consider, depending on your setting, whether you want to combine it with your direct pharmacy services, or you want to separate it as two completely different services, which makes for a very clean legal distinction. And I do believe that legislation will be changing in the future, maybe even in the near future, because I see legislation around health coaching also changing from state to state and who can talk about diet and who can talk about lifestyle. So we really have to take a state by state approach with this, but um, from the legal counsel that I've gotten myself and being on the more conservative side, I walk people step by step through these considerations to make sure that they feel safe venturing out like this and it's aligned with their ethics. Great. Very helpful. Wow. Well,
0: a lot That you've been able to cover uh, in the conversation. And so Marina, where can people go and find more information about you and what you're doing?
1: Uh, Yes, I really appreciate this interview and being able to share my story and what I do. Uh, You can find me on my website, marinabooksof.com. I'm also part of Farm to Table, which is another way that I serve clients clinically with functional medicine, health coaching, and herbalism. I also recently became a mental fitness coach. So you can look up positive intelligence and that's something that I'm implementing currently with clients. And it really, really helps with this implementation piece that I was mentioning. And I am found online. So you could just look me up uh, on social media with my name.
0: Great. Very helpful. So Marina is our final question that I love to ask all of our guests is what is some advice that you would share or tell your younger self or for others out there just getting started in their career?
1: I would say find a mentor. I believe the number one thing that you can do to help yourself and to save time like I said because I truly believe now that time is our biggest most precious resource that really is invaluable so to save yourself the time and to really maximize your productivity i would say find somebody that you can look up to or respect and trust or aspire to do something like what they're doing and If they could be a role model, that's fine. And you can follow their footsteps. But if it's at all possible to reach out to them and to connect with them, I would say just try it. You never know who's going to answer and who's going to be a potential resource for you. Um, And for me, you know, when I was stuck back when I was finishing pharmacy school and didn't feel aligned and felt borderline depressed and had all these diagnoses fall on top of it, I reached out to my teacher of my complementary and alternative elective because she's who I really connected with and I asked her for guidance and then she introduced me to somebody and then they introduced me to somebody and it snowballed from there. So I would say just reach out, talk to people and ask for help and guidance from those you trust.
0: Awesome. Well, Marina, it was such a pleasure to have you as a guest on the Talk
1: to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you so much, Hillary. It was really fun.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating and reviewing it. Share it with friends.